And so this is uh, a time historically when the church has remembered uh, Jesus' first coming and then his second coming, or his first and second advent. If you are a Spanish speaker, you will see the root of the word venir, which means to come, uh, ven. Uh, that is the, the same root in where we get our English word advent. It means that Christ came and he's coming back. And so we have candles here. They're not magical or mystical. They just kind of remind us of the four historical themes of advent, hope, peace, joy, and we're talking about love, the love of Jesus today. And so, again, the, the historical remembrance is to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world, and to remember these themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And so, again, Advent is just a thing we do. But often during Christmas time, right, especially in America, we, we've got all these things going on, presents, uh, it's the Christmas season, Black Friday, this thing, that thing, we're busy doing that, school's closing down, school Christmas break's going We've got meals and trips and all this stuff planned. And so my encouragement is, is to focus less on those things today. Those things are not bad. They're just tradition. Tradition's not bad, but tradition can also be idolatry, okay? No matter what kind of church background you come from. So let's focus less on those things today and more on who Christ is and, and focus on Jesus and his advent. And so... Uh, the, the, again, this is why we celebrate Advent. Today we're looking at love. And there's those other four themes of hope, hope, peace, joy, and love. And so it reminds us of who Christ was, that yes, he came as a baby. But more than that, I think even the equal theme, that he's coming again. Like that's what Advent should amp us in and, and, and charge us for the rest of the year to be excited that our king is coming back again. And so it gives us hope. And it gives us encouragement that Jesus would be God with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to ask this essential question, how is Jesus coming? How is Jesus coming? We're going to look at Matthew 2, 1 through 12, which will allow us to worship and learn um, that Jesus is coming humbly. It demands a response from the wise men. That's our first point. From Herod, our second point. And all humanity, our third point. Because he reveals himself to all nations in his redeeming love. So we're going to walk through this, through this. And I want you to think of something quickly. Have you ever been in a scary situation? Like, have you been in a place where you were lost as a kid or maybe as an adult driving, uh, stuck in darkness, stuck in a cave, stuck in a room where you can't see? Have you ever been stuck, again, in a situation that you can't seem to escape or get out of? And I'm not talking about spiritually. There's all kinds of spiritual metaphors and stuff for that. I'm talking about physically. Like, have you been physically in danger in a scary situation? Again, obviously, the spiritual and the physical are connected. Um, and all of us, in a sense, have been trapped spiritually if we don't know Jesus. And we all technically are in a scary situation like the people in our text today. Because all of us have been trapped by sin. And we can't escape, again, the, the, the idea of a spiritual uh, a scary situation. But again, I want us to think about a physically scary situation. Think of that for a second. Have you ever been in a situation physically where all hope, peace, joy, and love were, were not present physically? Maybe you're like, no, 
I've never been in that situation. I've never been in a scary situation. But maybe you've seen a movie or, or you've thought of a situation. Uh, maybe you had a memory as a kid. You've imagined you were being hunted for dead or you've seen this in a movie and there was no way out. Maybe you've had a nightmare like this where you, again, were being hunted and, and you had to escape. Have you ever been utterly terrified of that type of scary situation? You see, in our text today in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, it is actually set in this scary situation. And there was this King Herod who was appointed the king of the Jews by the Romans. And he was this evil man who ruled strictly and ruthlessly in the worst sense of those words. He was so evil and jealous and insecure that he had his wife and several sons and relatives murdered. And the Bible tells us in Matthew, this is kind of after our text today, Matthew 2, 13 through 23, this section again, after our text today, that this King Herod, he had a plan to wipe out the Jewish Messiah. Sounds like our culture today, right? They always go after Jesus and the Christians. They don't go after anything else. He wanted the Jewish throne all for himself. You see, Herod lived amongst the Jews and he ruled them. And you see that the Jews... Um, who were Jesus's people, his ethnicity, um, they believed in this Messiah, this, this word that we get, um, this one who would come, this anointed one or this chosen one with the attached meaning and the promise that this Messiah would be a savior, a deliverer. So if you've ever heard of Yeshua or Joshua, did you know Jesus' name was just Josh? Hey, Josh. Doesn't sound very, very different, right? That's, Jesus had a common normal name, Yeshua, Joshua. And so this word actually means deliverer. It's what's happening in the Exodus. It means savior. It means rescuer. It's what our church is named, redeemer, this one who would redeem. And so Herod was terrified. He knew about this coming Messiah, and he was terrified of him. And so as Herod put himself in this scary situation, we do this sometimes as humans, and he was totally scared that the Messiah would take his power and his throne away. And so because Herod was in a scary situation, he came up with a plan to kill the Messiah. He should have turned to the Messiah. He should have turned to him to be his redeemer, his redeeming love, but he didn't. Instead, he devised this evil plan to take out, to kill the Messiah. You see, the story in our text today of Matthew 2, 1 through 12, I encourage you to open your Bible and be there with me. We'll look at it in a second. It's after two years had passed from the birth of uh, our Messiah, Jesus. And so Herod's plan was to try to kill all the Jewish boys under two years old to make sure he murdered the Messiah and saved himself in his earthly throne. But God was in control. And God is, is the actual author of history in his sovereignty, not Herod, not me, not you. The Bible says in Proverbs that we make our plans, but God plants our steps. And so in Herod's attempt to play God, he made a plan after he found himself in that scary situation. Sound like anybody? If you're in a, in your, you're in a bind, we come up with a plan real quick. We forget God. And because of his sin, now he then puts Mary and Joseph in a different scary situation. You see, Herod's sin and plan had consequences, just like all sin does. And those who are now putting Mary and Joseph, and now he was putting Mary and Joseph in this compromised and scary situation themselves. Our sin affects other people. But God told Joseph in a dream and told him to take Mary and two-year-old baby Jesus to Egypt to hide and wait until Herod died. 
So then another king, Herod's son, was put in charge, and Joseph was still scared to return to Israel. But God gave Joseph another dream uh, to go and return to that northern region of Israel called Galilee. And that's where Jesus would be called, uh, born in this town and raised in this town of Nazareth, the town Jesus was raised in. So the Bible says he would come out of Egypt. He did. He was in Egypt for a while. And then it also says that he would be from Nazareth, that he would be from Galilee. He would be born in Bethlehem. I, I can relate to this. I'm, I was born in Germany. My family's Puerto Rican. I lived in a bunch of places. So they can all be true, okay? And that's kind of what happened to Jesus. And, and so the prophecy of the Bible is true. And so this story helps us set the biblical precedent for us to ask and answer the question today, how is Jesus coming? Like how is, how, um, I mean, how Jesus is coming, you see, the story of Herod's plan is what, again, sets up our text today in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. So open your Bible, and we're going to read today, and we're going to learn, and we're going to worship and learn that Jesus is, uh, this is our main idea today, that Jesus is coming humbly. It demands a response from the wise men, a response from Herod, and all humanity, because he reveals himself to all nations in his redeeming love. So let's read this text together and get some of the context. Again, Matthew 2, open your Bible, turn on your Bible, have it with you the whole time. We're going to look at these words and see how it ministers to us. Matthew 2, 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd or pastor my people." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me a word, that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was." And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Again, I want to propose that our text today in Matthew 2, 1 through 12 will teach us to worship and learn that Jesus is com coming humbly, demands a response from the wise men, that it, it demands a response from Herod, and it demands a response from all humanity because he reveals himself to all nations in his redeeming love. So we need to see the part of the story that sets the stage again for Herod and Mary and Joseph's scary situation, where again, Herod, he wanted to murder all the boys under two. And where Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt and Galilee for their lives. So the first part of the story in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2 starts after the birth of Jesus. Where we see the wise men's initial response to God. This is our first point. We see Jesus' coming humbly again demands a response from the wise men. 
So let's look at verse 1 with me again of the text. And the text says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, this is in the southern part of um, uh, Israel, the days of Herod the king, this king, we've already introduced to this creepy king. It says, Behold, wise men, these wise men, from the east, so traditionally we have them, it's the Orient past, there's a song, so some people think maybe they're from Asia, deep Asia, like China, maybe this meant they're some sort of part of the Middle East, we don't know, they just came from the east. Um, and, and so, but they came to Jerusalem because uh, we know that these guys had an understanding of this Messiah. And so they, they come and they had studied probably texts of the Old Testament. They probably studied a bunch of stuff. And they wanted to catch this king, this, this Messiah that they heard was coming. And so verse 2 says that they were saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star. So God used the star to guide these men who were not Jews. Hmm, it's like God cares for the nations even back then. It's kind of a theme we see in the Bible. You see, he says, For we saw his star. They were actually astrologers. Okay. They were actually not doing, they were actually in, in, in things that the Bible says don't do those things. But even in those sinful things, God still called out to them. And he presented a star and it said, for we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Hmm. We always think of the wise men as like these good, do, 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 wise men. Uh, uh, that's not who they necessarily were. You see, God revealed himself to the wise men. God chose them. They didn't in their power find God. This is a humbling thing. They were looking for him, in a sense, after the star appeared. So after the star appeared, now they probably have heard of these prophecies and are like, ooh, how can I get in on this? I want, I want, I want some power. They were astrologers. They're also called historically magi. It's where we get our word magic or magician. They were witchcrafty guys. Hmm. Merry Christmas. They were looking for him after the star appeared. God chose him. Again, this came from that prophecy that he, God, gave the Bible, in the Bible. So God revealed himself to them as he has done for us or for those who believe today. See, you can't love God on your own. No matter what you tell yourself, no matter what you've heard before, God has to save you. He has to redeem you. You, you can, and then when he does that, you then can actually love God. It's the first point of our mission statement, to love God. Did you know the Bible says that we loved him because he first loved us? The Bible is clear. The text says that these wise men, guys, in all their sin, in all their brokenness, these wise men who were not polished, perfect men, we see them in our cute little nativity scenes, and we think they, 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 they weren't even there. <laughs> they came two years later. But they were guys that dabbled in astrology, a dark art. Now, astronomy, that's kind of looking at the stars. But astrology, it goes a little deeper. Okay? That is associated with dark arts. God called these men out, these broken men to seek him, like God has called out to you and me to respond as we love God, to actually behold him and see him for the first time. These men, again, were practicing astrology, which the Bible speaks against, because it puts, astrology puts one's trust and hope in creation instead of the creator. But you know, guys, that God is actually good, no matter what you think or the world tells you, and that God is actually smarter than you and smarter than me. He's smarter than us. Thank God. He uses our sin. 
all the junk that we've done. He uses it, your sin, my sin, to call us like these wise men to see him. That's what he's calling us to do. That is the purpose of sin, by the way. It reveals who we are and who God is. Sin through God's law helps us see our shortcomings, to look up and to see God instead of looking down and looking at ourselves all the time. God says, stop. He says, look up. And he, that's how he reveals himself. You see, God revealing himself is one of the ways, is the way that we understand this glory of God. And, and so is this idea of us loving God and glorifying God. We say in our mission statement, those are two of the same ideas. We love God, love people, make disciples of all nations for God's glory. To understand the glory of God, it's, it, it starts with the love of God. Those go together. It's this cyclical thing. God revealing himself, again, is how we see his glory. It's how we can understand it, that he is the biggest, the awesomest. The Bible even says scariest. The old translation in the King James would say that he was a terrible, like the way we translate dinosaur, terrible lizard, doesn't mean he's terrible. It just means he would scare you in his transcendence, in his bigness. You would explode. That's why he sent the humble Messiah, because he is the biggest, the scariest, the awesome. Don't worry about the demons. The demons are sub subject to God. The demons bow down and they're scared of God. God is the scariest thing you would ever encounter. And that God, that powerful, almighty God is also loving. And so he sent his son so that you would see how awesome and how wonderful he is and how weak you actually are and small that you are. Just imagine a little cell that I just, I killed a cell, Okay. I just took out cells. They're living organisms, right? Or a little cockroach comes, I'm going to take it out. Do would y'all really care? No, don't lie to me. You would not care. PETA would not care. They would not care. If, if rats were infested our homes, what do we do to the rats? We take them out. So then imagine the difference between us and God. Infinitely small. Infinitely smaller than a cell. But God cares. He is big. He is awesome. In the words of Michael Jackson, he's bad. Does that make sense? He's good. He's awesome. He's strong. He's powerful. But we don't see him that way. We actually think we're God. We think we're smarter than him. And he's like, you, you don't get it. This is the idea of understanding the glory of God, that he's bigger and stronger and smarter and more powerful than you can ever understand him. And that's why he sent Jesus, so that we could see who he is so that we could see who we are and see that he has gifted us this salvation gifted us this grace. That's why we give presents, presents on Christmas. He's gifted us this mercy. Grace is the gift. Mercy is that we deserve hell. And God says, no, I'm pulling my hand back. You don't get the wrath of hell. I put that on my son, Jesus. And he gives us repentance and belief so that we can actually love him. All these gifts, they come from God, guys. We don't produce them. That's the beauty. So like the wise men who were sinful and lost and they were dabbling in dark arts and mystical things, looking for another answer, God broke their worldviews like that. And he drew those men to himself. And God found these wise men in their culture, in their sin, and he used a star. And he used their own wicked astrology that they practiced in his own creation to reveal himself to them. It actually reveals that God 
actually has power over sin. All the things that you're struggling and I'm struggling with right now, that he has power over that to change it, to change you. And it shows us, guys, that we don't have power. We don't have power over sin and that we need God. We need his glory. We need him to to open up our eyes because we are not good. But we often act like we are. And we can often put ourselves in a scary situation of thinking that we are God. Isn't that crazy? We put ourselves in in Herod-like situations where we put ourselves in a situation where we think we are God or smarter than God. Terrifying. If it doesn't terrify you, it should. This is what all humanity does. Jesus, Adam was the first man. Adam in Hebrew means man. Jesus is the last Adam, the last man in Hebrew, in Greek, actually, but it's the same idea. So we are always, we're trying to be, like, put ourselves in the place of Jesus, and only Jesus can be the perfect man. We can't. That's the point. That's what it means when you start to see the glory of God. You start to see less of yourself and your humanity, and you appreciate that. You're thankful that you're made in the image of God, but you start to see a holy God as, as he truly is. So in verses 1 and 2, we saw our first point, that Jesus is coming humbly. It, demands a res- it demanded a response from the wise men. And then in the rest of the verses, verses 3 through 8, we now see Herod's response. And this is our second point. We see Herod's, uh, well, we see his response in satanic fear, which is our temptation. Okay, and that shows us our second point, point coming from verses 3 and 8, that Jesus is coming, humbly demands a response from Herod too, even from all the evil people, which the argument is that the, we just saw the wise men were the evil people, right? Which then falls on us. We are actually evil people. We're not good. God is the only one who's good. Even Jesus says in his humanity, I'm not good. That's how humble he was. So the text says in verse 3, we're going to look at Herod a little bit. In verse 3, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Remember, that's a scary situation. His heart was like, oh, no, you ever been there? Something happens and you're troubled. You don't know what to do. Just be honest with yourself. We're all Herod sometimes. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So he as the king then put fathers, mothers, right, leaders you start to put your anxiety on your people, on your children, because you're scared and you're troubled and you're like, be quiet, kid. Child. You, know, you hit them and you say stuff and you're angry because you're actually terrified like a little child. Or you get in an argument with someone because you're actually troubled like Herod. And Herod now f- is finding himself in this scary situation that he created. And the text continues saying in verse 4, so he had put everybody under this, this fear, and it says, assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He got all the smart people, and he inquired. He asked them a bunch of questions. He asked them where the Christ, because remember, he was Roman. He wasn't Jewish, but he was ruling the providence. It'd be like um, uh, someone from Mexico ruling Texas or from Canada ruling Texas. It was that kind of, so they're not going to know all the Texas things, okay? So he's like, hey, where, what, what, what's going on here? But it says, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And then the Jewish chief priests, they knew the Bible, And they say, 
And, and they, they were still very, remember, they're, they're fearful too now. They're like, he, the Bible says, the prophecy says that in Bethlehem, chapter 5, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And this was the messianic prophecy that they held on to from Micah 5.2 that says, this is from Micah, that, and you, talking about the Messiah, you, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler and a shepherd or a pastor and a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Jesus, he was this shepherd. He was this pastor who was coming for his people Israel. And so I encourage you to, to see God. He is actually calling all nations to himself. And he uses this story in Matthew to show us that in calling these wise men, he was calling the nations. Meaning he was calling all kinds of people to himself. It's an actual big theme in the Bible that as Americans, because we're the top of the food chain, we don't care about a lot of times. We're just like, my nation, my people, you know, this, this, this issue on the, on the right, this issue on the left, we fight very American about it, right? My rights, my thing, my... And the world is looking at us like, you goofy Americans. <laughs> you, you're the same. They, they see us as the same, as goofy, as proud, as selfish, independent, my freedom, my land. That's how we act. That's how we think. But Jesus wants us to see how he came. We are proud. We are arrogant. That's just our default. But Jesus was coming humbly. We've been saying that from the beginning. He was coming humbly to reveal himself to all nations in, this rede in his redeeming love. We see this human baby literally born in a manger where animals ate. And they did their duty, if you know what I mean. <laughs> they, 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 he, Jesus came humbly, and he had to stay in a stench in this place with these animals. No king would do that. No earthly king would do that. He fulfilled the prophecy of old. He was born in Bethlehem and became the king that Herod wanted to be. He, came, he was this king from the line of David. Herod was trying to replace Jesus, and he couldn't. And Jesus' kingdom would be one that is eternally linked to the Father and the Holy Spirit, who, like Jesus, the Godhead, were there at creation when everything was created. Knowing one day that this ruler, this king, Jesus, this shepherd, this pastor, who was the eternal son of God, he would condescend. He's this transcendent, awesome, big, strong thing, and he would come and become a little cell or become a little cockroach. Just imagine. No human would do this. That wasn't God, too. He came down with human flesh, humbly. He was born of an average couple. His parents, they probably weren't poor, but they weren't rich. They weren't famous. Jesus wasn't famous. He got famous. He wasn't born famous. He wasn't an earthly king, that he was a nobody in the eye. Literally nobody. You see, Jesus came to establish his heavenly reign, his kingdom. He came to help us see his kingdom was being established, that his kingdom is started, but it's not completely established yet. And that's part of our tension. We want the kingdom of the world, of Satan, and not the kingdom of God. And did you know if you're a Christian, the kingdom of God starts now. That's a creepy little thing right there. <laughs> I don't think it's an actual uh, wasp. It may look like one, but I think it, there, there are these dirt dauber things. But watch it just in case. Now, how about scary? We're all in a scary situation now, right? Um, so the, the kingdom of God, if you are a Christian, guys, is available to you now. 
It's near, Jesus said. It's here. It started. You see, God will actually culminate or establish his kingdom when Jesus comes back again in the second advent. That's what historically in the Bible is called the day of the Lord. Even the Jews believe this and Muslims believe this day of the Lord. Do you know Muslims believe Jesus is the one who's coming back to judge the earth? They have a lot of other wrong theology. They got that right. Jesus is coming, and his kingdom is the reality of the already but not yet. It's this interesting mystery of the gospel that we get to be in, to not live, not, not sit on our hands and feet and not do anything for the kingdom of God, not because we are the ones who are doing it, but he's called us to play. He wants you to play. He wants you to be a part. He wants you to wake up and be part of the kingdom of God and enjoy. We just sang, right, rejoice, rejoice. We're going to sing it again. To rejoy, to have joy again, that is one of the biggest gospel things because as we were reading as a family this morning, the Bible says that, that if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, Paul tells Timothy, you will be persecuted. Sorry, Merry Christmas again. <laughs> if you desire to live a godly life, a real godly life in Christ, you will be persecuted. But in that persecution, we can rejoice. It's the weird mystery, beautiful. I don't mean weird in a bad way, in an awesome way. This is the reality, again, of, of, of the kingdom of God that is here, but it's not yet. God's kingdom, again, is, is near to us. We have the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promised, promised return from the Father because we can have hope that he is with us now, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually abide in him. We can live in him. We can love him. God is now dwelling or abiding with his people to allow us to see that we need him more desperately and more desperately every day. Why? Because in God's story, he allowed sin to be present so that we would have to deal with the fact that we are utterly imperfect, broken, sinful people who actually need a Savior to rescue and redeem us, um, to Joshua us, to deliver us. That's the name of Jesus. You know what? Not just once. Many people are like, yeah, I was saved when I was 10. Praise God. And now, now I, I, I don't God, I don't know. You know, he, God saved you. If he saved you as a baby or a child or a teenager, not to not be different. He's actually redeeming you more and more every day. You're not getting resaved. You're just seeing the glory of God more and more. You're becoming more and more his son and daughter. But don't fall for the trap that you said a little prayer as a kid and so you're good to go. You can do whatever you want or you can just kind of coast. God's children don't coast. God's children are sanctified. They're made holy. That's the word. If you know the, the, the word in, in Spanish of, or Santa Claus, Santa Biblia, it's holy clause. So that's actually pretty irreverent to call this guy holy clause, right? Um, other than the actual Saint Nicholas, like you and me, are saints. You know what that means? You're holy ones. You're holy people in Christ, so live like it. Not perfect, but as the Bible says, being perfected. The word, the idea in Greek is this idea called teleos. It means to come to a completion. It's not saying you're completed yet, but a real child of God is growing. And that's the, uh, the hope that Christ gives. The Bible says if you know Christ, that we needed Jesus, the Savior, Deliverer, to, to cover, to atone for us, to then redeem as he, he took the, the wrath of God was not placed on you, praise God. It was placed on Christ, the God-man, and he took it, and he redeemed us. He died, like we'll celebrate communion here in a, in a bit. And the Bible says if you know Christ, the old has passed, the new has come, because our king didn't die like other kings. 
Our king was God and man, and he was perfect, and he lived sinless. He was holy, so we can say that we are saints or holy ones because he was the holy one. And Jesus was tempted the same way you and I were tempted. With all the sins that you were tempted with, I believe, to have power, to be dominant. Look at the, the, the temptation in Matthew 4 here in a few chapters when Satan comes and tempts him. The same things Satan, Satan tempted Jesus with, he'll, he'll tempt you. Temptation is not sin, but it shows Jesus' humanity, that he was actually tempted with the same darkness that we were. But he, Jesus, was the only one, the, the true Messiah, the true anointed one who did not sin, who had power over that temptation and that sin to reject it. And so in his perf- perfection, he became our redeemer. He was beaten where you couldn't even recognize his face. He was hated, and he became this redemption. He became the one who took our place, again, who took on God's anger. God has righteous anger, just like you and I can have. And God put that on his son, his earthly son. And so God then came and showed us his glory the way only, the way only God could do. As a humble king with no earthly title, Jesus came the total opposite way that an earthly, vain, insecure king like Herod would come. Jesus is the perfect one and the sacrificial lamb who came to live with his creation. And he promised to come back again. And I want to animate your soul and encourage your soul to hope in that he will come back. And so all the junk, all the pain, all the tiredness, all the things, it's worth it. Paul says don't lose heart to his people all the time. Don't lose heart. Jesus is worth it. Your pain and your trials and your struggle, it's worth it because of Christ. Jesus, the perfect king, again, the sacrificial lamb, he gave us the promise that he's coming again, his second advent. He resurrected from the grave in three days and he ascended and he actually promised to come again so that he would establish his kingdom of his saints, of his holy ones, us, the true believers who love him and have his redeeming love so we could dwell with him We're not just going to be floating around like little angels. We're going to live. We're going to have bodies. We're going to work. We're going to do stuff. We're going to abide and live with Christ as new creations. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. We can't even imagine that. Just one day without no pain, you you would probably take over the world. One day with no sin, you could be, I guarantee, two, two days, three days of no sin, you'd probably take over the world. But Jesus didn't do that. He could have. He could have been Mr. King, Mr. President, but he came humbly, and that's what Christ does to give us hope, peace, joy, and love that we actually can have in this Advent season. You see, God revealed himself to the wise men, and they came in all their sin and brokenness and culture, and as our first point taught, we saw that Jesus' coming humbly demands a response, demanded a response from the wise men. And we saw, um, again, that um, in our second point, it emphasized again that we see Herod's response in satanic fear. And so our second point is that even those that are scared, right, that, that Jesus is coming humbly demands a response from Herod. And then we see um, in, our, in our second point again, the text reads, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then he sent to Bethlehem, sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. I hear his like the creepy villain voice there. Come and come. You know, he's like this creepy, manipulative guy. Maybe he sounded nice and flowery. I don't know. 
So we see Herod lies to them. He does this not um, because he wants to worship like many people do in the church, or, um, but rather he wanted to murder the toddler baby Jesus. Many people use Jesus this way. They use Jesus for their own advantage. Again, they use godliness for gain, as 1 Timothy tells, tells us. This is what Herod was doing. He was using the church. It was in the church at the time, but he was using the things of God for gain. That's what people do in the church. They just want power. They want money. They want a job. They want to, sh- to, to do something evil. Go read uh, 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy. It'll, it'll, sh- it'll teach you all about that. And so we saw our first two points, that Jesus demands a response from the wise men, from Herod. And now we see and we can learn from our third point and conclude that Jesus is coming humbly. It demands a response from us, from all humanity, because he actually is the one who has revealed himself to all nations in his redeeming love. Like he actually has this. So verse 9, we see the wise men's response to Herod's lie in verse 9, which shows us our third point. That again, Jesus' coming humbly demands a response from all humanity because he reveals himself to all nations in his redeeming love. So look at verse 9 with me. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The wise men actually see Jesus. They literally see this, I mean, it makes me want to cry, this toddler, two-year-old baby Jesus, perfection. They don't even know what they're seeing. They see him for the first time. Just imagine, can you see Jesus? Maybe you need to see Jesus for the first time. This humble king, king of the world, the one who created everything, came as this little baby and was a little toddler. Do you see how Jesus is coming? He's coming humbly. Look at, look at what the text says in, in verse 10 and 12. It says, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced. So when we sing this, I encourage you to rejoice. They rejoiced exceedingly with, exceedingly with great joy. And it says, then going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down, and they worshiped him. These guys weren't even believers. I think this is when they're converted. Bam, they fall down. When's the last time you fell down and worshiped our king? I mean, I physically fell down. I'm not saying that saves you, but... Do you have this joy, this, this love for God in your bones, in your heart, where you would fall down and worship a king? Not because the falling means anything, but because you actually love him. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says they saw the child. They fell down and worshiped him. Then <coughs> opening their treasure, they offered him gifts. That's why kids during Christmas, that's why we do gifts in adults. Because this is the example of the wise men. And it says, and then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I need some water. (coughs) Pardon me. I've been fighting something. I think it's uh, dried me out. All right. So the wise men see and respond to Jesus. And so my encouragement is, do you see, do you actually see how Jesus is coming? Are you worshiping Jesus like the wise men did? Do you see God's perfect plan and redeeming love? Do you see that this story, that our text actually demands all of us to respond, to wake up, And so how does Jesus' humbly revealing himself to you and to all nations in his redeeming love, how does that make you respond? How do you respond? Does it animate your soul? 
Do you see what it means to actually love Jesus, family, and friends? That Jesus, he's actually coming again. And we're just like the wise men and like Herod who responded wrong, but the wise men who responded right, we are to respond to his redeeming love and worship for the salvation he gives and salvation he will continue to give to new people. And guys, we have to know the gospel. We have to know his story, that he came and he created, he made everything good, and that he actually allowed sin to come in. He wasn't caught by surprise, that we, we would see our brokenness and our need for him, and that he would be this redeemer as we've talked today, the one that would take on the wrath of God and, and, and say, hey, you don't have to be slaves to sin. You're actually free now when you, when you follow me. And then he says there's a new heavens and a new earth that awaits us. And he just calls us to do two things. Jesus, when he starts his gospel in Mark, he says, he says, repent and believe. This is what it means to love God. You would do that all the time, not just once. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in front of you. The kingdom of God is at hand. So guys, when we respond in repentance and belief, that's the true love that we see that God has actually loved us first and given us his love. So we can see our third point, that Jesus is coming humbly, demands a response from all humanity because he reveals himself to all nations in his redeeming love. So let me ask a few questions and we'll shut it down. We're still seeing though. Where is your heart today, guys? Like where is your heart really at? Are you excited that our king is coming back like the wise men? Or are your thoughts controlling you like Herod? Are you stuck in a scary situation of your own making, in your own sin, and you're blaming God? Is your mind drifting into other things and thoughts? Are you trying to control everything like Herod? Maybe you're just lazy and you do nothing. You just ride the wave. I'm saved. Whatever. Who cares? Yeah, Jesus is coming back. Maybe you've forgotten everything about Christ and his return and his advent and his coming and you have no hope. Man, you can actually hope in Jesus, Emmanuel. You can actually have hope of this God with us today. Are you anxious or stuck worrying about other things more than about how you are to love God? Yes, your number one purpose and mine. Do you love, do you love God? Do you wake up every day? Man, I love God. It will change your life. Maybe life is going too fast and you can't think or breathe. You can't process your scary situation. Your heart is lost or broken. And I encourage you to love Jesus, to step away from your arrogance, from your pride, from your lust, from your disturbing thoughts, and, 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 and look to Jesus and repent of all your junk, your sin. Cry out to this true king like the wise men did. See his redeeming love. It's what it means to be saved. It, it's what it means to be your child, to be his child, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this should not breed, breed the thoughts of you that you earned your salvation, but the opposite, like John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived. John the Baptist doubted. Jesus said he's the greatest man that ever lived. He doubted. And then John says, may I decrease so that he might increase. See your humanity. See your humanity. See that you are weak and frail, and in your humanity... You need this Savior because you are a slave to sin. Know that God loves you and that he calls us to, to love first him, then to love people, and then to make disciples of all nations for God's glory. Do you know your purpose? Have you encountered this redeeming love? Are you living in this redeeming love that our Redeemer gives us? May I encourage you all to know this king today. Know that he actually came humbly in a way that no one, no one could come. He demanded a response from the wise men. He demands a response from Herod, and he demands a response from us. So let's respond now.
to this one who saved all the nations in his redeeming love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are awesome, you are holy, you are wonderful. And we thank you for your redeeming love. We thank you for this love that you've given us that, Lord, if we're honest, we, we just don't see it. We forget and that you're awesome, that you're holy. Let us just humble us now, Lord, and let us just respond like the wise men, not like Herod, not proud or arrogant or trying to come up with a plan to figure this sin out and to hide our sin. Lord, let us be open. Let us lay our sin down as we respond in communion. Lord, to see who you are and to see that we need you more and more every day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 